Chapter Twenty Two of A Red Wall Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wall Flower by Susan Warner. Chapter Twenty Two. A Question. The identically same doubt busied some minds in another quarter, where Mr. and Mrs. Dallas sat expecting their son home. They were not so much concerned with it through the winter. The Gainsboroughs had been happily got rid of, and were no longer in dangerous proximity. That was enough for the time. But as the spring came on and the summer drew nigh, the thought would recur to Pitt's father and mother, whether after all they were safe. He mentions them in every letter he writes, Mrs. Dallas said. She and her husband were sitting as usual in their respective easy chairs on either side of the fire. Not for that they were infirm, for there was nothing of that. They were only comfortable. Mrs. Dallas was knitting some bright wools, just now mechanically, and with a knitted brow. Her husband's brow showed no disturbance. It never did. That's habit, he answered to his wife's remark. But habit with Pitt is a tenacious thing. What will he do when he comes home and finds they are gone? Make himself happy without them, I expect. It wouldn't be like Pitt. You knew Pitt two and a half years ago. He was a boy then. He will be a man now. Do you expect the man will be different from the boy? Generally are, and Pitt has been going through a process. I can see something of that in his letters, said the mother thoughtfully. Not much. You will see more of it when he comes. What do you say in answer to his inquiries? About the Gainsboroughs? Nothing. I never allude to them. Silence. Mr. Dallas read his paper comfortably. Mrs. Dallas's brow was still careful. It would be like him as he used to be if he were to make the journey to New York to find them, and if we should seem to oppose him, it might set his fancy seriously in that direction. There's danger, husband. Pitt is very persistent. Don't see much to tempt him in that direction. Beauty! And Pitt knows he will have money enough. He would not care for that. I do, said Mr. Dallas, without ceasing to read his paper. I would not mind the girl being poor, Mrs. Dallas went on, for Pitt will have money enough, enough for both. But Hildebrand, they are incorrigible dissenters, and I do not want his wife to be of that persuasion. I won't have it, either. Then we shall do well to think how we can prevent it. If we could have somebody here to take up his attention, at least. Preoccupy the ground, said Mr. Dallas. The colonel would say that is good strategy. I do not mean strategy, said Mrs. Dallas. I want Pitt to fancy a woman proper for him in every respect. Exactly. Have you one in your eye? Here in America it is difficult. I was thinking of Betty Frere. Hmm. If she could catch him, she might do. She has no money, but she has family and beauty. You understand these things better than I do, said Mr. Dallas, half amused, half sharing his wife's anxiety. Would she make a comfortable daughter-in-law for you? That is secondary, said Mrs. Dallas, still with a raised brow, knitting her scarlet and blue without knowing what color went through her fingers. Perhaps her husband's tone had implied doubt. If she can catch him, Mr. Dallas repeated, there is no calculating on these things. Cupid's arrows fly wild, for the most part. 
"'I will ask her to come and spend the summer here,' Mrs. Dallas went on. "'There is nothing like propinquity.' In those days the crossing of the Atlantic was a long business, done solely by the help or with the hindrance of the winds. And there was no telegraphing to give the quick notice of a loved one's arrival as soon as he touched ashore. So Mr. and Mrs. Dallas had an anxious time of watching and uncertainty, for they could not tell when Pitt might be with them. It lasted, this time of anxiety, till Seaforth had been in its full summer dress for some weeks, and it was near the end of a fair warm day in July that he at last came. The table was set for tea, and the master and mistress of the house were seated in their places on either side of the fireplace, where now, instead of a fire, there was a huge jar full of hemlock branches. The slant sunbeams were stretching across the village street, making that peaceful alternation of broad light and still shadows which is so reposeful to the eye that looks upon it. Then Mrs. Dallas's eye, which was not equally reposeful, saw a buggy drive up and stop before the gate, and her worsteds fell from her hands and her lap as she rose. "'Husband, he is come,' she said, with a quietness of intensity, and the next moment Pitt was there. Yes, he had grown to be a man. He was changed. There was the conscious gravity of a man in his look and bearing, the cool collectedness that belongs to mature years, the traces of thought and the lines of purpose. It had been all more or less to be seen in her board before, but now the mother confessed to herself the growth and increase of every manly and promising trait in the face and figure she loved. That is, as soon as the first rush of delight had had its due expression, and the first broken and scattering words were spoken, and the three sat down to look at each other. The mother watched the broad brow, which was wider than it used to be, the fine shoulders, which were even straighter and broader than of old, and the father noticed that his son overtopped him. And Mrs. Dallas's eye shone with an incipient moisture, which betrayed a soft mood she had to combat with, for she was not a woman who liked sentimental scenes, while in her husband's gray orbs there flashed out every now and then a fire of satisfied pride which was touching in one whose face rarely betrayed feeling of any kind. Pitt was just the fellow he had hoped to see him, and Oxford had been just the right place to send him to. He said little. It was the other two who did most of the talking. The talking itself for some time was of that disjointed, insignificant character which is all that can get out when minds are so full, and enough when hearts are so happy. Indeed, for all that evening they could not advance much further. I supplemented tongues sufficiently. It was not till a night's sleep and the light of a new day had brought them in a manner to themselves that anything less fragmentary could be entered upon. At breakfast, all parties seemed to have settled down into a sober consciousness of satisfied desire. Then Mr. Dallas asked his son how he liked Oxford. Pitt exhausted himself in giving both the how and the why, yet no longer like a boy. "'Think you'll end up by settling in England, eh?' said his father, with seeming carelessness. "'I have not thought of it, sir.' "'What's made old Strahan take such a fancy to you? Seems to be a regular love affair.' "'He is a good friend to me,' Pitt answered seriously. "'He has shown it in many ways. "'He'll put you in his will, I expect.' "'I think he will do nothing of the kind. He knows I will have enough.' "'Nobody knows it,' said the older Dallas dryly. I might lose all my money, for anything you can tell. 
the younger man's eyes flashed with a noble sparkle in them what i say is still true sir what is the use of oxford humph said his father the use of oxford is to teach young men a fortune to spend their money elegantly or to enable young men who have no fortune to do elegantly without it there is no doing elegantly without money and plenty of it said the elder man looking from under lowered eyelids in a peculiar way he had at his son plenty of it i tell you you cannot have too much money is a good dog a good what a good servant sir i should say you may see a case occasionally where it has got to be the master what do you mean by that a man unable to do anything and spoiled for doing anything worth while because he has so much of it a man whose property is so large that he has come to look upon money as the first thing it is the first thing and the last thing i can tell you without it a man has to play second fiddle to somebody else all his life do you think there is no independence but that of the purse sir beggarly little use in any other kind in fact there is not any other kind pitt what passes for it is just fancy and struggling to make believe the really independent man is the man who need not ask anybody else's leave to do anything pitt let the question drop and went on with his breakfast for which he seemed to have a good appetite your muffins are as good as ever mother he remarked mrs dallas to judge by her face found nothing in this world so pleasant as to see pitt eat his breakfast and nothing in the world so important to do as to furnish him with satisfactory material yet she was not a foolish woman and preserved all the time her somewhat stately presence and manner it was in little actions and words now and then that this care for her son's indulgence and delight in it made itself manifest it was manifest enough to the two who sat at breakfast with her mr dallas observing it with a secret smile his son with a grateful swelling of the heart which a glance and a word sometimes conveyed to his mother mrs dallas's contentment this morning was absolute and unqualified there could be no doubt what betty frere would think she said to herself every quality that ought to grace a young man she thought she saw embodied before her the broad brow and the straight eyebrow and the firm lips expressed what was congenial to mrs dallas's soul a mingling of intelligence and will well defined clear and strong but also sweet there was thoughtfulness but no shadow in the fine hazel eyes no cloud on the brow and the smile when it came was frank and affectionate his manner pleased mrs dallas infinitely it had all the finish of the best breeding and she was able to recognize this what are you going to be pitt his father broke in upon some laughing talk that was going on between mother and son to be sir i beg your pardon after you have done with oxford or with your college course you know i intend you to study for profession which profession would you choose pitt was silent have you ever thought about it yes sir i have thought about it what conclusion did you come to to none yet the young man answered slowly it must depend on what partly on what conclusion i come to respecting something else pitt went on in the same manner which immediately fastened his mother's attention perhaps you will go on and explain yourself said his father it is good that we should understand one another yet pitt was silent is it anything private and secret 
his father asked, half laughing, although with a touch of sharp curiosity in his look. Private, not secret, Pitt answered thoughtfully, too busy with his own thoughts to regard his father's manner. At least the conclusion cannot be secret. It might do no harm to discuss the subject, said his father, still lightly. I cannot see how it would do any good. It is my own affair, and I thought it might be better to wait till the conclusion was reached. However, that may not be for some time, and if you wish— We wish to share in whatever is interesting you, Pitt, his mother said gently. Yes, mother, but at present things are not in any order to please you. You had better wait till I see daylight. Is it a question of marriage? asked his father suddenly. No, sir. A question of Uncle Strahan's wishes? suggested Mrs. Dallas. No, mother, and then with a little hesitation he went on. I have been thinking nearly what master I would serve. Upon that would depend, in part, what service I would do, of course. What master? Mars or Minerva to wit? Or possibly Apollo? Or what was the god who was supposed to preside over the administration of justice? I forget. No, sir, my question was broader. Broader? It was, briefly, the question whether I would serve God or Mammon. I profess I do not understand you now, said his father. You are aware, sir, the world is divided on that question, making two parties. Before going any farther, I had a mind to determine to which of them I would belong. How can a navigator lay his course unless he knows his goal? But, my boy, said his mother, now anxiously and perplexedly, what do you mean? It amounts to the question whether I would be a Christian, mother. Mr. Dallas slewed his chair round so as to bring his face somewhat out of sight. Mrs. Dallas, obeying the same instinctive impulse, kept hers hidden behind the screen of her coffee urn, for she would not her son should see in it the effect of his words. Her answer, however, was instantaneous. But, my dear, you are a Christian. Am I? Since when, mother? Pitt, you were baptized in infancy. You were baptized by that good and excellent Bishop Downing, as good a man, and as holy, as ever was consecrated, here or anywhere. He baptized you before you were two months old. That made you a Christian, my boy. What sort of a one, mother? Why, my dear, you were taught your catechism. Have you forgotten it? In baptism you were made a member of Christ, a child of God, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. You have learned those words often enough, and said them over. That will do to talk about, mother, said Pitt slowly. But in what sense is it true? My dear, in every sense. How can you ask? It is part of the prayer book. It is not part of my experience. Up to this time, my life and conscience know nothing about it. Mother, the Bible gives certain marks of the people whom it calls disciples and Christians. I do not find them in myself. Pitt lifted his head and looked at his mother as he spoke. A grave, frank, most manly expression filling his face. Mrs. Dallas met the look with one of intense worry and perplexity. What do you mean? she said helplessly while a sudden shove of her husband's chair spoke for his mood of mind, in its irritated restlessness. Marks, she repeated. Christians are not marked from other people. 
as I read in the Bible, it seems to me they must be. I do not understand you, she said shortly. I hope you will explain yourself. I owe it to you to answer, the young man said thoughtfully. It is better, perhaps, you should know where I am, that you may at least be patient with me if I do not respond quite as you would wish to your expectations. Mother, I have been studying this matter a great while, but as to the preliminary question, whether I am already what the Bible describes Christians to be, I have been under no delusion at all. The marks are plain enough, and they are not in me. What marks? It is a personal matter, Pitt went on a little unwillingly. It must be fought through somehow in my own mind. But some things are plain enough. Mother, the service of Christ, follow him. It is the test of their service. I never did, nor ever thought or cared what the words meant. The children of God are known by the fact that they love him and keep his commandments. So the Bible says, I have not loved him and have not asked about his commandments. I have always sought my own pleasure. The heirs of the kingdom of heaven have chosen that world instead of this, and between the two is just the choice I have yet to make. That is precisely where I am. But, my dear Pitt, said Mrs. Dallas, while her husband kept an ominous silence, you have always led a most blameless life. I think you judge yourself too hardly. You have been a good son, always, and her eyes filled, partly with affection and partly with chagrin. To what was all this tending? You have always been a good son, she repeated. To you, mother. Yes, I hope so. And, my dear, you were confirmed. What did that mean? It meant nothing, mother, so far as I was concerned. It amounted to nothing. I did not know what I was doing. I did not think of the meaning the words might bear. It was to me a mere form, done because you wished it, and because it was said to be proper. The right thing to do. I attached no weight to it, and lived just the same after as before. Except that for a few days I went under a little feeling of constraint, I remember, and also carried my head higher with a sense of added dignity. And what is your idea of a Christian now, then, Mrs. Dallas asked, between trouble and indignation? I am merely taking what the Bible says about it, mother. Which every man interprets for himself, added Mr. Dallas dryly. Where words are so plain, there can hardly be any question of interpretation. For instance, Let that be, said Mr. Dallas, and tell us, if you can, what is your idea of the choice you say you have to make? A choice between what? The one thing runs into the other, said Pitt, but it does not signify at which end we begin. The question is, I suppose, in short, which world I will live for. Live for both! That is the sensible way. But, if you will pardon me, sir, impracticable. How impracticable? It has been declared so by the highest authority, and it has been found so in practice. I see it to be impracticable. I do not. Where's the impracticability? Mr. Dallas had wheeled round now and was regarding his son attentively, with a face of superior, cold, rather scornful calm. Mr. Dallas's face was rarely anything else but calm, whatever might be going on beneath the calm. Pitt's face was not exactly so quiet, Thought was working in it, and lights and shades sometimes passed over it, which his father carefully studied. Where is the impossibility, he repeated. 
as Pitt's answer tarried. The impossibility of walking two ways at once. Will you explain yourself? I do not see the application. He spoke with clear coldness, perhaps expecting that his son would be checked or embarrassed by coming against that barrier to enthusiasm, a cold, hard intellect. Pitt, however, was quite as devoid of enthusiasm at the moment as his father, and far more sure of his ground, while his intellect was full as much astir. His steadiness was not shaken, rather gained force, as he went on to speak, though he did not now lift his eyes, but sat looking down at the white damask which covered the breakfast-table, having pushed his plate and cup away from him. Father and mother, he said, I have been looking at two opposite goals. On one side there is what people usually strive for, honor, pleasure, a high place in the world's regard. If I seek that, I know what I have to do. I suppose it is what you want me to do. I should distinguish myself, if I can, climb the heights of greatness, make myself a name and a place, and then live there, as much above the rest of the world as I can, and enjoying all the advantages of my position. That is about what I thought I would do when I went to Oxford. It is a career bounded by this world, and ended when one quits it. You ask why it is impossible to do this and the other thing, too? Just look at it. If I become a servant of Christ, I give up seeking earthly honor. I do not live my own pleasure. I apply all I have of talents or means or influence to doing the will of a master whose kingdom is not of this world and whose ways are not liked by the world. I see very plainly what his commands are, and they bid one be unlike the world and separate from it. Do you see the impossibility I spoke of? But, my dear, said Mrs. Dallas eagerly, you exaggerate things. Which things, mother? It is not necessary for you to be unlike the world. That is extravagance. Pitt rose, went to the table, where a large family Bible and book of common prayer lay, and fetched the Bible to the breakfast table, during which procedure Mr. Dallas shut his chair round again to gain his former position, and Mrs. Dallas passed her hand over her eyes once or twice, with her a gesture of extreme disturbance. Pitt brought his book, opened it on the table before him, and after a little turning of the leaves, stopped and read the following. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Yes, at that time, said Mrs. Dallas eagerly, at that time, then the heathen made great opposition. All that is past now. Was it only the heathen, mother? Well, the Jews, of course. They were as bad. Why were they? Just for this reason, that they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They chose this world. But the Apostle James, here it is, he wrote, Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Wouldn't you then be a friend of the world, Pitt? his mother asked reprovingly. I should say, Mr. Dallas remarked with an amused and different tone, I should say that Pitt had been attending a conventicle. Only at Oxford that is hardly possible. The young man made no answer to either speaker. He remained with his head bent down over the Bible, and a face almost stern in its gravity. Mrs. Dallas presently repeated her question. Pitt, would you not be a friend to the world? 
that is the question mother he said lifting his face to look at her i thought it right to tell you all this that you may know just where i stand of course i have thought of the question of a profession but this other comes first and i feel it ought first to be decided with which utterance the young man rose put the big bible in its place and left the room end of chapter twenty two recording by nancy cockman durgan gilbert arizona